It ain't that simple, mate. Hello and welcome to It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast, where we talk about uh, missions and alleviating poverty and everything related to it and connected with it. Uh, I am Fraser Scott, here with Kevin Honoré. Hi, Kevin. G'day, Fraser. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? Yep, yep. Excellent. Right. Excellent. So today we're talking about something a little bit different. We're talking about the stages of addressing poverty. Now, this is kind of a framework that won't necessarily be familiar to everyone else, but it is uh, acknowledging something about the different ways in which you can interact with poverty. And it will make more sense as we step through these four stages here today. But it's it's not just the the way in which one engages with poverty, but it's also the time frames that are inherent in these different stages. And that's really important. The, the time frames are really important, I think, um, Kev, because, you know, we operate on pretty short time frames and pretty short expectations of turnaround uh, here in the West, here in New Zealand. And the reality of these uh, stages and phases of poverty alleviation is that, yeah, these things don't tend to happen quickly. And, um, you know, sometimes our expectations are not met. But it will probably make more sense if rather than teasing around it, we, we get right into it and talk about these four phases. Uh, the first of these is uh, relief. Yeah. Now, th- this is probably the one I think, um, Kev, that will be most familiar to people. This is when something goes really wrong. And yeah. this is this is usually when poverty you know makes it into the news. There's a famine, there's a flood, there's a tsunami, there's a war, something disrupts... Or an epidemic. Or an epidemic. <laughs> something disrupts the norm and throws people into chaos. And, and maybe people, they don't have access to food or shelter or, you know, there, there's, there's injuries and it's all the stuff that makes it onto the news. So uh, talk about this. Talk about what this phase of addressing poverty involves and, and what sort of time frames and, and some of the issues around it. Yeah, well, and, you know, this is a, obviously a, a, an important thing that we need to respond to. You know, when, when something happens, we need to be able to, to get involved. And, and by we, I'm talking in a, in a very general sense. I'm not talking about, about Bright Hope necessarily because there's a number of factors involved in, in getting involved in aid. One is it has to happen really quickly, and for that to happen, you have to be well resourced, you know. So you have to be able to get airplanes into places, or boats and ships and houses and water purification, and you know, um, and and uh, medical aid and, and all that kind of stuff. So, the, you know, we kind of think that that's that's not our space. But but you know, things have to happen quickly, and you need large amounts of money quite quickly, and. And uh, yeah, it, it needs to happen. And, and you know, there's some great organisations that that are involved in that. Um, but you know, the key is having to to act quite quickly. Yeah, and you know, you can think of a number of these things that have happened in the past, just not too distant past. I'm sure. Couple couple of the things that jump out to me that you know, having been in places where there are a lot of refugees in, in Jordan, in, in Lebanon, refugees, you know, streaming over from Iraq and Syria, and so sort of seeing that firsthand. Uh, and then in Nepal, where we have a, a partner that was uh, quite involved 
uh, during you know, following the the big earthquake that happened there a few years ago. A couple of things that really struck me. The first was that you know you end up with this mass of stuff. Hmm. So you know people like to fill fill you know containers full of old clothes or bicycles or whatever. Uh, but that can be a problem at the other end in terms of relief, isn't it? I mean, you know, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, naturally, we want to, we all want to be able to help. But you know, we we do have to get in our heads that if we're going to help in the right way, it has to be with stuff that's you know that's that's required on the ground. And that's why I would say, you know, let's leave the the aid to the specialists, the specialists there. Where it can become messy is that we is that if we have an aid mentality and we try to address some of the other things that are going on, so um, some of the longer term things that, that we'll come to in a minute. Um, so you know, aid is a short to medium term response that we need to be able to make uh, when there's an emergency. Um, and as you said, that could be some disaster, or, or it could be something like a. a, a a pandemic, or you know, like the AIDS issue in Southern Africa, or or Ebola in a certain place. So it could be specialised in terms of medical kind of interventions required. So, so yeah, it needs to be. I'd say leave that kind of thing to the to the experts. Don't get involved in, in thinking you can be the solution to that if you're not geared up to do it quickly or effectively or with the right stuff. Yeah, it's 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 a, a specialised really role and. Short term. That's what that's what I want to emphasise there. That it, it's a short term intervention. One of the challenges, you know, that, that we often see, and is that these things happen. And I think, you know, the the, the probably the, the most prominent example is the earthquake in Haiti, where it's all over the news. It's you know, it's the twenty four cycle, twenty uh, four hour cycle, and so you know, there's a flood of aid, there's a flood of of support, and people care about it. But isn't it isn't it true that we have a pretty short attention span? That that you know we, we talk about the time frame for aid or relief, and we use the terms interchangeably here. Um, that we say you know this is months and years. This just just the first you know emergency sort of phase. That's the sort of time frame. But do, you know do we in the West stay committed for for that long? No, we tend not to. Mainly because there's another uh, another event just around the corner that that refocuses our our attention, and you know this this became um, you know quite obvious. And you know when the war in Syria started off, and all those refugees started flooding, you know flooding out of there, that uh, very quickly Europe got sick of <laughs> of of all these people in need and started you know. Putting guns on people in the boats that were coming across the the sea and, and turning them around, trying to send them back somewhere or somewhere else, and and so yeah, we we do tend to have a a short attention span, and and you know the the media I think probably promotes that as well because they they want to look for the next story as soon as possible to keep their ratings up or whatever, uh, and so we tend to follow that stuff. Um, but you know, when did you last hear about you know Syrian refugees? Yeah, 
Well, I, I think about it, you know, I experienced this a little personally and I, I have a relative and I won't say, you know, who that person is, but it was not long after the Christchurch earthquake and, you know, we were, the city was pretty beaten up. It was maybe two weeks afterwards and this person said, oh my goodness, I'm just so sick of hearing about this earthquake. And it was a sense of, man, it's, it's been two weeks and, and, you know, there's all these people that have died and, and, and you realise how quickly we get fatigued. It's like, I'm, frankly, I'm bored of this. I'm bored of hearing about it. That that's pretty tough when when the people who and I, you know I certainly wouldn't compare the earthquake in Christchurch to you know the, yeah, the sure. issues in Syria, but, but was, yeah. you know they keep on living it, and the rest of the world yep. is like, man, I'm bored we've, of this. We've moved on. Yep, and yeah, we've we've a lot of that comes from you know why are we doing this stuff? It's, it's part of the answer to that. Why do you get involved in what you're doing amongst the poor? Uh, well, for us, it comes out of conviction. You know, it's not just coming out of out of our emotion. Oh, shame! What a pity! What can I do? Is that you know? And, and and when you're responding at that level, that that's why it's easy to shift your attention to the to the next big thing that's happening. And uh, and so yeah, so aid is important, but it requires specialists. Uh, specialists to get involved to deliver it effectively. So, so from a bright hope world, we, we're not an aid organisation. No, we're not. Uh, we realise that we we can't do that. Now, in some cases, we have helped where aid is required when we have a partner on the ground that's who right. wants to get help. But that's the only way we could really get involved in aid. So, for for people out there listening, and and you know maybe they're looking at. Uh, COVID-19 or, you know, they're looking at, at whatever has emerged by the time this is, is released and it is the nature of the world that things go wrong. What is the best way? What, what is the healthiest way from a, a you know, field focus, that, you know, focusing on the needs of the people out there? How should one get involved in, in these sort of relief activities in, in a way that is going to deliver the most benefit at the far end? Well, find out the the agencies that are on the ground doing something. Don't wait until there's an aid opportunity to for, to do that. You know, do that strategically. Think about it. Think about it. something is going to happen. What are the sort of things that I you know that I want to be involved in? And understand who you are, whether that's you as an individual or you as a group as well. Am I an aid kind of person? Am I the sort of person that wants to jump in and help straight away, or or am I more of a? And we'll talk about it later. More of a development kind of person. Do I want to get involved in that sort of thing? Because the uh, the amount of money you put in the the length of time that you need to put money in, into it and all, all that sort of stuff will be determined by by where where you engage because the time frames related to aid uh, are pretty much dictated you know to us it's not like you're going to be doing aid for a thousand years or a hundred years or, or, or 20 or even five possibly um, there are other stages that follow after that that, that, are, that are required. I, I, when, I, when I first got involved in uh, Bright Hope World, I'd moved to Christchurch in 2004, went along to a church, and Rob was talking, Rob Perdue, our chairman, was talking. And it was uh, maybe a couple of weeks after the Asian tsunami, Boxing Day tsunami of 2004. And what he was saying is, um, hey, we're, look, we're connected, Bright Hope World is connected with all of these people out there. And um, they'd been connected to some churches, some Christians in Thailand. Mm. They said, look, there's all this stuff arriving from all over the world, but actually we just want to get back on our feet. We want to, you know, we want to provide for ourselves. So what they're asking for is, can you help us 
repair our fishing boats and, and get some fishing nets so we can just go out there and do it again. And so he was saying, this is what Bright Hope World's going to do. That was the basis. It was from that presentation that I connected with Bright Hope World and I thought, I like that. This yeah. is this is not us sending whatever we have left no, over no. Or, or whatever we think we don't need anymore to them. It was being directed you know, from the pointy end, from the people on the ground. And I think that's... That's perhaps a, you know, for, for me at least, that's a lesson in, in aid is you want to know that the people on the ground are calling the shots. Yep. They know what the issues are. They know what they need. They, yeah. I've often, you know, so somebody said this to me recently and I can't remember who it was. Probably was you, Fraser, but. If it was know, wise, it was probably it was, me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Don't send anything to anyone else that you wouldn't wear yourself, you know, or, or use yourself. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a thing in there that we we do tend to give away the stuff we don't need to the poor people over there because we're better than they are. yeah and and um we give out of what's left over we've got to we've got to change that mindset and we've we've got to start giving because we've got uh we're really motivated to give we've got a heart for it we we're, we're thinking seriously about it and you know I was oh, next Sunday I've got to preach a sermon on first Corinthians 16 where you know Paul's talking to about collecting money for the, the the poor church back in in um in Jerusalem and he says to those people put your money aside regularly think about it strategically don't wait till I get there yeah and then take up a quick hasty collection yeah get organized and get around so that's what I would say to you you know Think about it seriously, strategically, um, and I, set yourself up. I'm going to throw one more point in, in here, which is something that I saw firsthand, which was, um, you know, in, in Jordan, again, we had a partner there, and uh, a church from a country that I will not name sent a container of bottled water to them. And it cost this this ministry in Jordan more to clear this container through customs than it would have uh, been to just go buy the water in the local market, which is freely available. Uh, I'm a big advocate for um, just just really thinking through that stuff. And if you can support a local economy, you know, you don't need to necessarily send a whole bunch of clothing. If there is clothing available locally, buy it locally, help them twice, help the local economy, and then and then provide. You know, to the people who can't probably more get than close. twice. Three yeah, well, well, exactly. So that that's a that's a sort of final caveat I would put on that is be be very careful about what you send in those situations. Anyway, let's move on to the second stage of addressing poverty. The first is relief or aid. The second is rehabilitation. Now these are kind of sequential in time. Yes, you you have a disaster. You have an, an event that disrupts the norm. And you know, relief is the first phase of that. Rehabilitation then is about getting back to where you were. So it's it's, it's sort of resetting to zero over time. Now we say this takes uh, years, and and often a lot of uh, a lot longer than people think. Talk about some examples. Who you know, we've we've seen some disasters in in the past. What are some of the places that are in a rehabilitation phase now, Kev? Well, we're sitting in Christchurch. Yeah, good example <laughs> as an example from from here. But but out, out there, and and you know where things are, where there's less, if you like, support for the the rehab. Um, you know, you go to Nepal, and there's still people there 
Uh, we're talking four or five years, six years ago. We're still people living in temporary accommodation there, you know, because there's just there's, there isn't the resource to rebuild. It was really interesting in that case. Our our partner there, when when this came along, said, "Look, we don't have the resources to get involved in aid. So what we're going to do is we're going to build temporary shelters for people to live in while they rebuild their homes." We thought that was a great a great a great way of of bridging between relief and and rehab. Well, and he also said, um, didn't he, that, hey, look, we don't want any more aid money. What we need yeah. is to move into this rehabilitation phase. Yep. Let's stop sending, you know, money for food and start looking at, you know, employment opportunities to get these people back on their feet, back earning, back providing for themselves. And replacing the cows that have been killed or the, the goats that have, have disappeared or, you know, um, Stabilising their, restabilising their land so they can plant their vegetables again, and half the the farms shot down the hillside, and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's. Um, I and I, I think you know you, you mentioned Christchurch before, and I think this is a, you know, it's a, a sobering example, you know, because you have an earthquake, albeit a pretty substantial one, but you know, with relatively, and I say relatively. Um, you know, in terms of relatively modest loss of life, because you know, as global earthquakes go, we we fared reasonably well. Um, but you know, this is an isolated thing. You know, in a in a wealthy country, you've got reinsurance from overseas. It's it's it's, it's very localized, uh, and and yet still ten years ten on. Ten years on, the the rebuild is maybe half done. Hmm. Um, you know that that's. You stop and think and think, well, okay, so Nepal doesn't have those kind of advantages in Kathmandu that, that, that we have. So, again, we expect that everyone will sort of move on from the disaster, but it takes a lot longer than we think. I was it? listening to the radio last night about Christchurch, and uh, yesterday there was a cutoff time when people could apply, you know, if they'd had their houses fixed, but the, but the uh, what, what had been done wasn't adequate or, or it had shown up as being being done badly. There was a cutoff last night where you know, more than 4,000 people had put in applications that, you know, their, their rebuild wasn't up to scratch, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't uh, done well enough, you know, and that's in a developed country where... Mm. Ten years have gone past, so this is this is ongoing for many people for for many years, and and you know the psychological impact of a lot of of that will carry on for for many years. And so people people can't don't move on really quickly, um, you know. And so and so yeah, it's it's a it's a we you know, medium to long term thing here. We're talking years. You know, a number of years involved in this in this part of the whole kind of process, if you like, of, of developing people. So where do you invest to, to, to advance rehabilitation? What kinds of things are you doing to get people back on their feet? Well, one of, one of the issues with this is, of course, and, and again, it's one of the reasons why Bright Hope's not, not that involved in rehabilitation or our partners aren't involved is that it requires a lot of money because a lot of it is infrastructure that's you're, you're rebuilding aren't you? you're rebuilding yeah. houses roads um you know all, all that infrastructure that's that's been damaged and, and destroyed and, t- and taken out and, and all of those things are really important and, and, and when we say we don't we're not involved in that uh, it's not we're not we're not saying that it's not important. Absolutely, it's important, but it's just not where we fit because we're a small organisation. 
and um, we're we're not you know we're not into building and and uh, we're not builders and construction engineers and we don't have the resource to be able to do all that. So so again, that's where uh, um, specialists are need and needed and and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, a lot of countries, as you said, they they aren't geared up you know, at the government level to be able to help with this stuff as well. And and so, you know, whenever an, uh, a crisis comes along, those people are often stuck there in limbo for a long period of time. We say, and you're quite right, that we don't, uh, we don't specialise, we don't tend to get very involved in the rehabilitation phase. But, you know, come next year, the year after, you know, when things sort of get, a little bit more stabilised in in terms of COVID nineteen, are we not going to be pretty much exclusively in a rehabilitation phase in, yeah, in some yeah. senses? I mean, well, that, this this is a yeah, this is a almost a unique situation, really. I mean, you know, when there's a a tsunami in in a uh, in a place, even the, you know a widespread one like in Indonesia and and then it hits Sri Lanka and India and Myanmar, all those places. Are, um, it was reasonably localized, um, but you know this COVID thing is global, and and it affects it many different in many different ways. It, for example, you know the biggest impact in many cases has been in Western in Western countries, and so that's going to affect the amount of resource that's available to go into the rehabilitation. At the same time, you know the rehab still still going to be required. So it's you know you being hit at both ends in, the, in that case whereas if it's more localised you know the the resource might still be available um, but uh, to be delivered to a, to a specific location so so yeah we, we're going to have to be involved in in some rehab for for a period of time here but it's, we can't even afford to let that go on forever because people have to move beyond just where they were we want people to flourish and to uh, and to succeed in in the long term and into the next generations and so and so you you can't go into rehab thinking we're going to be in rehab forever or, or for a long time you you have to be able to structure it in such a way as that you're going to be able to move past that and and do whatever's required to to get there. It does strike me though that you know it, it takes a lot longer than we think and I, you know I visited. Berlin about five years ago and you go to East Berlin and it's still a tough place. I mean, you know, this is not a completely recovered part of the world well, yet. it's only and, you know, 30 to 40 years. It is, but <laughs> again, in one of the, the areas of the, the world has, you know, the most expensive real estate, yes. the space between, you know, the two Berlin walls, yeah. either side of it, still not built on. And again, yeah. 30, 40 years ago, yeah. it, it, it's, you know, we need to reset our expectations as to how quickly these things happen. And, and this is really important in this area. You know, I think probably the, mo- the single most important thing I would say in this space, in this in this area of of uh, the timeframes associated with with addressing poverty is that we have to understand this stuff and we have to understand who, who we are and put ourselves in the right place when it comes to to getting involved um, you know if you if you're in a I should probably say this later but I'll say it now if, if you if you want to see the end of sex trafficking in in the world right? strap in that's not going to happen in an aid with an aid mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Now you might be able to go and rescue a few girls out of poverty, 
you know, after three years, yay, we've got 20 girls out of poverty. Well, that, that's great. But how many guys have you stopped flying into Thailand from Europe in that three years? You know, because it's not just, it ain't that simple, mate, you know? It's it's a multi, multi, there's multiple layers and facets of, of the issue that, that have to be addressed, and, and they're not going to be addressed in three years. Now, I'm not criticising the fact that you've got a three-year time frame. If you do, focus on aid. Yeah. You know, don't think about changing You're not the world. Develop. Don't, yeah. don't think well, about those later. Let, those let's later. not jump ahead of ourselves because we, we do want to spend a bit of time in sure. development because that's where Bright Hope World lives. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a, a short break and then uh, you know come back and talk about the remaining two phases of addressing poverty. You are listening to It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World part, uh, podcast. We will be back in just a moment. It Ain't That Simple, Mate, is brought to you by the My Coffee. My coffee is the finest quality organic Arabica coffee from the northern hills of Thailand. We at Bright Hope World import the green beans into New Zealand and we roast them to perfection, then sell them to discerning coffee drinkers. We're all volunteers on the team, so all the profits go back into great community projects in Thailand. And that is why we call it the world's best tasting act of kindness. You can order Lamai coffee or find out more at lamai.co.nz. It ain't that simple, mate. Welcome back. You are listening to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast where we talk about mission stuff and we talk about poverty stuff and we talk about all sorts of stuff. And today we are talking about the the stages of poverty alleviation and, and interventions. Uh, you, we've talked about the, the first phase, which is uh, aid or relief, um, which is a relatively short-term um, stage after uh, some event or disaster. We've talked about rehabilitation, which follows that and is about getting a community back on its feet. Then the third phase, and we should say that Bright Hope World doesn't do a huge amount in those first two phases, but the third phase is development. And this is where we live, Kev. This is this is where Bright Hope World spends its time. And, and this is about... Uh, lifting a, a community out of poverty it is about starting to address some of the causal uh, issues about poverty. And and I think the, um, the the shocking thing about this is just how long this takes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And this is where there's, I think, a lot of misunderstanding and, and a lot of poorly thought out strategies, uh, you know, are, are, are implemented and, and a lot of expectations are, are dashed um and and frustrated because people don't go in with with a, a correct understanding of, of what time you know is required here and these these time frames in a sense are dictated to us they're not they're not time frames that we've invented this is just you know from observation and and, and you know just to state we, we didn't make the, all these 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 things up this is kind of thought about and and, and written about in various uh, Places, but the thing that we've tried to develop on this is what are the the you know the timeframes that 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 go with each of these stages, and that's that's really what we want to focus on here. And so you know you're talking decades when it comes to development. And that, now that's a problem, isn't it? Because you know, let's yeah. say I'm a you know I'm an individual that wants to contribute in the space, or uh, you know I'm a church leader and I come in and 
you know, let's face it, if you're not familiar with this, you're thinking, all right, I'm going to come in, I'm going to invest for three to five years, max. I mean, that's if I'm pretty committed. And what I expect to see in that time frame is some pretty consistent growth. I, I want to see results in that time frame. If, if I'm, you know, having a community, I want to see that community radically changed in that time frame. And if it's if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to stick around for the most part. Um, now that you know, that's my that's me sort of putting that, that hat on. Is, is that fair? Is that is that what we tend to see? Um, I I, th- I think there's a there's an aspect of that in, in all of us. Really, we, we want to see things happen as quickly as possible, and we want to be the ones that make the difference and 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 you know be the change agents or make the change happen. We're activists. We want to see things going going down. But the reality is that these time frames are determined. So let me take an example. You want to educate a kid, right? You join up a, you know, join up with a sponsorship program. The kid's six years old. How long are you going to hang in there? What is it? I mean, I've heard various stats on that. Just as a side issue, as to the average length of commitment of someone sponsoring a child now i have a figure in my head what what have you heard yeah well i mean i think i heard from world vision once that it's about three to four years yeah three years is what i heard so that's not very long to to educate a child (laughs) (laughs) no you dummy (laughs) no no it's not is it um so so you're going to get involved as with a six-year-old. Yeah, you're willing to stay for the next seventeen or eighteen years. So they're at a point where they can be self-sustaining, uh, flourishing, um, starting to produce their own family. They're self-sustaining, so they don't have to have their kids in a sponsorship scheme. Blah 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 blah. And all of that is this this. That's, and that's the sort of way I think we've got to start thinking about this. We, we need to start with the expectation, I'm in this for the long haul. Yeah, and what are the realistic expectations? Now, in saying this, we're not criticising the sponsorship programme because, you know, there's so many great stories about that. Of course. But as a donor, now I know we can't always tell the future, but if you're not willing to stay there for the next 15 years, then think about it. You know, I mean, is, is, are you saying if if you can't stick with it, don't do it? Oh, I would hate to say that because it's better to do it than not. Yeah, and there will be other people who will do it for the next three years. Uh, but surely we've we've got to get beyond a three year attention span. My goodness, we live in a in, as Christians in an in a in an eternal context. You know, um, how long has it taken you to grow up and get some sense and some maturity. We've just got to you know, be serious about it, I think, and, and not just be doing this out of emotion. Let, let's take a specific example. And, and you know, this is, comes from a conversation I had with a, with a church pastor. And I think, you know, often in the mission space when we talk about this sort of stuff, it can be a bit of a beat up on church pastors. Oh, you guys, you know, you, you come in and you commit to something and then a couple of later, you know, a couple of years later, you want something else, and and what's that about? And in having a conversation with this one pastor, he said, "Look, it's just really hard for me to keep my congregation engaged." He says, "I, you know, I see what you're talking about, but after a couple of years, particularly if you're not seeing a lot of progress, are people going to keep giving to that thing, thinking, well, you know, hopefully in seven or eight years it'll turn around?' I mean, how how do we change that? How do you, as a church leader?" 
How do you grapple with that? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's a it, it will always be a battle. Um, I mean, like I said before, I was I'm doing something on First Corinthians sixteen. Well, when did, Paul had the same problem with these people, you know. Um, you know, they started giving, and then he had to wind them up again and and again, and and keep reminding them to keep doing this thing. It was it's, it's part of the human it's part of human nature. If, if it's not right in front of me and I, and it's not affecting me, then it's easy to forget about out it. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. And, and you know, to be brutally honest, it's one of the reasons why in Bright Hope, because we're involved in development, we don't easily engage with churches where our biggest most consistent donors aren't churches um, uh, they're either individuals that are set up to be involved in development so they understand this or they are foundations and and uh, and organizations that, that that understand the time frames and 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 get involved because that's why they exist well I think it's particularly telling that quite a few of our donors are entrepreneurs who understand the idea that, hey, you know, you start a business, it's going to take some years to achieve profitability. You might take quite a loss there for a while, but the idea is building wealth, you know, over, you know, a long time. I think the entrepreneurial mindset kind of gets this stuff that you don't, you know, Amazon does not, you know, reach, you know, whatever it is, $150 billion market cap in, in two years. Mm. That doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, and how many you know, and how many wealthy people have have gone bankrupt in the way on the way there? It's almost the difference between being a gambler and a, and an investor, isn't it? I mean, some are looking for the short term buzz, others are, are in it for the long haul because they understand the realistic timeframes that, that that are required here. And so we would say that development is a a decade kind. You got to be thinking in decades. You know, that, that's that's really. We were at here, so you know. First of all, relief is, is months and years, rehab is years, and now we're when you get to development, you're you're talking about decades, and 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 you know, I just think of the example of, of a church that we've been working with in in um, in Ethiopia, a church out of the U.S., and and we went to them and put this project before them, and you know. <laughs> We went a fairly kind of a rocky pathway along along the way, and it took exactly ten years. We were at the mm. the celebration when they we kind of finally wound that project up, which is now largely self sustaining, and and I think by the look of it is, is even going to to manage to survive through this the whole COVID lockdown. And, and this this is a a school that is supporting how many church planters? Uh, well, it's it's it, it will vary, but you know twenty to thirty. Mm. You know, on a, on it's, a, it's all looking after it. Well, again, yeah, COVID notwithstanding, and, and and 170 widows and 10 blind kids, and uh, is employing 120 people, and you know, so so let's look at that example because you know that that's a church, and and you know, I don't, I don't think it's un, un inappropriate to say this is Chase Oaks Church in Plano, Texas. Yeah. Great folks, and shout out to uh, to you if you're listening. Um, and you know they went that journey. Yep. What made them different? How was it that they were able to to hang on for ten years to see that result? Well, they went in uh, uh, for for the right reasons. They went in to learn uh, with a really humble attitude. They 
they realized that the way they were doing stuff in terms of their mission, you know, their existing missions program was largely short term and for their own benefit, not not really for the benefit of the of the people they were going to and. And, uh, you know, they started at a time when it wasn't really ideal. They were doing a major capital campaign when they first heard about mm-hmm. this, but they they really sensed that, that, that this was the right thing to do. And despite the, if you like, the, the circumstances that weren't ideal, they, they, they went in there. And, and the, the, the main, there's probably two components to that. The, the key, the point person for them really got involved. He got, he really got to know us really well we've become really good friends and we got to know the guys at the other end really well and just like very close friends and so it's just a very strong relationship and then their key leaders just jumped on board with us and it was being you know the engagement was being driven out of the the senior pastor and the and so you know there was a it kind of it oozed out of the the DNA of the church. It wasn't something that was coming out of the periphery of the church. It was right in the heart of the church, and and they they bought into it a hundred you know hundred percent and and committed to the long haul. And and the really cool thing about that is that they've loved the journey so much and learned so much from it that they've shifted that that investment to to another whole another whole country and another whole uh, series of of partnerships there that that are uh, quite different, but but you know amazing. Um, so you know, they've gone the journey. They've learned a lot of stuff on the way, and they, and they will say we've learned so much from what what we've done here in this journey that's affected the way the decisions we've been making, not just in our existing missions program, but in our in our local engagement uh, in our community as well. It's, they've, they've been able to leverage off what they've learned on this journey back into their own community and their own church community. And it is, you know, that kind of long-term mindset. I mean, that, that is something that you've sort of got to deliberately foster and, and, and you know, build. And, um, you know, I think there's, a, there's an old proverb that says, you know, a, a great society is one in which men plant trees, you know, the shade of which they will never sit under. Yeah, it's an, know, old, that, uh, an old Greek proverb, and I saw it written on in a cafe in Uganda. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> um, but, but that's the kind of thinking that we need to foster in the church, isn't it? That, you know, we, we, we are planting trees that we won't necessarily ever see grow, yeah, but they will grow. They will grow, and we'll never sit under the shade of the, those trees. Um, uh, and that's how we have to start thinking, you know. It's, it's like, yeah. And it's really cool when you see it happening. Really cool. Yeah, and and again, you know, I, I, we may have mentioned this before, but um, you know, partnership in Chaba on the, the northern shores of Lake Bengawelo in, in uh, Zambia, and it was one that that for years and years and years, I remember you know talking to our partnership facilitator about it, pulling it, his d- hair out. Yeah, he said this this is my worst partnership, mm-hmm. and and now you know it would be one of the best. I mean, you, you know, a massive community transformation and widows being cared for and really successful agriculture and, um, but. Boy, that went that Kids had some bumps. Yeah, and the one in Zimbabwe as well. I mean, yeah. you know, we'd heard about this this potential partner in Zimbabwe, and we thought, oh, we'd better get there sometime. And we, and we didn't have any partnerships there, and and so it took us a while to get there, and, and nearly ten years from the time we first heard about it. And when we got there, it was like they said, you know, we've been kind of here for ten years, and we're now just ready to start. Wow, they had yeah. already been in the community ten years doing stuff, and and the community was now inviting them 
to to lead the next stages of of development and and so even though it took us 10 years to get there and they'd been there for 10 years the timing was just right and since then it's just gone ballistic you know um the amount of impact that they're having and it's just you know isn't it just a cultural challenge to us you know i think of um, you know, the the Chinese talk about what they're going to do in 50 and 100 years and Native Americans, same, they, you know, trying to make a, a plan for what's going to happen in 100 years. I, You know, I just wonder if, if, you know, we are a little wedded to the, the election cycles, three or four years. That's our expectation. I mean, you know, you're a government, you've got three years to prove yourself. Prove yourself. That, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's a massive challenge. But, um, you yeah, know, I, th- yeah. I think there's huge benefit in thinking a little longer term. Thinking longer term and... And just understanding that that's the way it is. And we can't really change that. It doesn't matter how much energy we throw at it, personnel we throw at it, and money we throw at it. You just can't change people's mindsets in one, two, or three, or four years. It's just going to take that time. And get your head around that. If you don't like that, get involved in aid. But but that's just the way it is. Don't. Don't try and fight the system. You can't <laughs> rush it. All right. Well, if 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 that time frame is a challenge for you, then the, you know the next phase, the final phase of um, alleviating poverty, is is going to be even more difficult. And this is this is reform. This is one that's probably talk you know less about. Mm. But this is about really going to the heart of the matter. This is about the societal, the political, the cultural systems and structures, and it's about re-engineering those. Mm. Uh, you know, over time to 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 really undo the systemic causes of poverty. of, of poverty, yeah. um, and that's that's not decades. Now we're talking generations, right? Yep. Absolutely, we're talking generations, and uh, and from our experience, that that is the reality. Because often the people that you're working with now, or that you start with, are not the ones that uh, get the real benefit from from what you do. Uh, so you know. We were in Lebanon. We're working with Syrian refugee uh, young mothers who maybe have been raped and abused and are now, you know, 15, 16. They've got little children. It may not be those women who get the, the real benefit of, of our involvement now with them. It could be their kids and the kids of their kids um, who grow up with a whole different perspective because of our intervention now uh, or our partners intervention now and so you know you that's that's that, that's the, that's the reality of that stuff as well oh, okay there'll be there'll be some benefits in the in the shorter term than that but the real benefit won't happen until until out there well it makes me think of you know the ending of that film schindler's list where they're talking about it and they're saying saying you know these people that this this man saved from the holocaust you know, there are now however many thousands of people that are alive and thriving because of that action. I, I you know, and that's mathematics, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, when when you make those changes, you know, whether it's you know family coming to faith and then their forebears, uh, you know, enjoy the benefit of that, or it's a you know it's a community emerging from poverty and and slowly generation to generation it strengthens. Learning a whole new way of doing agriculture that's yeah. more productive. Yeah, all of that. So what what can we do? You know, this this is big. This is like you say generations. How how does Bright Hope World step into that space? Um, you know, how can people contribute to this kind of reform? I think um, 
it it's one one of our values as as we've talked about in the past is is strategic partnerships and, and the key to all of this is finding local people who have that kind of perspective and they're few and far between i mean you know um and and somehow God puts them in a community and and it's hard to even work out how come they've they've got to that place and they've got they've got that understanding because nobody else in the community gets it like they do but it's finding those people and uh and investing in in them and and what their vision is for their for their people um it's and i think of you know someone like gorrit and and um and james in in uh in busia on the uganda side of the border there um you know we've been involved with them now for oh, for 20 years but after about 15 years of her, well, probably about 12 years of her running a, a really effective loan program, you know, the the local people are saying to her, we want you to get involved in politics because you're the only person we can trust Yeah. <laughs> because of 12 years of things. So, so now, you know, she has the opportunity to change the the structure of the of the of the society. She to 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 um, be in on the the meetings where decisions are being made that affect lots of people that that chart the the future for for communities you know that kind of stuff and so yeah so some of our partners end up in in that space um just on the basis of their the way they serve their communities and are leading in their communities. Um, so really our, our role is not to reform. Our role is to empower the reformers yeah. that are there, to, to, to release them to do what God has called them to do. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes I mean, you can't you can't sit here and say, well, that's the person that's going to end up reforming. The, you know, in, in many cases it's just that's the way it happens. And in some cases they will get to that position. In other cases they won't. But, you know... And, and and if if I look across these four these four kind of aspects that we're talking about, you know, uh, months and years, years, decades, and then generations, nearly all of our partners fit and across that development thing. We we have a few that are in rehab, and a few that have drifted into the reform thing, but most of them are bridge across that 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 uh, development. Um, component and that's that's where we most naturally fit and and and, and we fit there because that's where our partners fit we, we you know since we didn't decide to be there but that's where our partners have ended up and that's where as we apply our values that's where they seem to most appropriately fit and and do the most uh, do the most um, constructive work yeah all right, so that is the the final stage of uh, poverty alleviation, of addressing poverty. I just, can I use this as an example of yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. Before I referred to the to the you know sex trafficking, and we we've got a partner in Thailand there, and, and we were just talking to some guys earlier about about that whole issue of 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 sex trafficking in in, in Thailand and and the, the issues associated with that. So so. The issue of of sex trafficking is is obviously a reform issue. It's it's not a short term thing. It's not because you're looking thing. at changing a whole culture, and not just a culture, numerous cultures. Mm, true. <laughs> I mean, because you know, you've you've got the issue of of poverty in the village, where 
families feel that the only option they have is to sell their daughters to somebody. So you've got, you got that level of it. Uh, you've got the fact that within that culture, nearly every guy has ha, visits prostitutes. You've got then the issue of all the international people that fly into Thailand for sex holidays. One in two men who, who land in. at Bangkok Airport. That's oh, what I'm they're embarrassed there for. to fly into Thailand into Bangkok as an old as an old white guy because everybody's assuming I'm there for that. That's right. Statistically, um, you are. Yes, yeah, statistically, I am. Unless the other guy beside me is. Um, That's why we don't travel together. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, you know. Where do you where do you step into that, and, and and what does that take? And like I said before, if you want to address that issue, don't just don't just think in three year or five year or even ten year time frames. If you want to get serious about involved in that, it, it, it's it's a uh, a long long term generational intergenerational thing. We've got to change mindsets in villages, remote villages all over uh, the world. We've got to be able to, to to change local attitudes of women of men towards women. Uh, we've got to change attitudes of families towards girls. We've got to uh, stomp out the crime that drives this thing. We've then got to stomp out the perversion in Western culture. I mean, hello. Yeah, a lot of work to be done. Put your seatbelt on. This is a long, long, long journey. And, re- and really, that's the message of all of this, isn't it? You know, the, these four stages that we're talking about is, you know, even at the the early end, even at the aid relief end, it's it's not a couple of weeks. It's not a couple of months. It's probably not a couple of years. So, you know, I guess what we would communicate is, um, you know, be involved in alleviating poverty and, and yeah. you know, don't, don't shy away from it, but focus and be strategic. Under, yeah, understand and take your understand your own your own sort of wiring in this as well. You know, yeah. and engage at the right and level. Engage at the right level. Don't, don't jump into a long term project if you've got a, a shorter attention span, and, and vice versa. You know, if if you've got the the capacity to hang in there and do the long thing, don't just don't just do an aid an aid type project or build a house for somebody. You know, get involved and uh, go the long haul. Excellent. All right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, thank you for joining us on It Ain't That Simple, mate. Um, if you have any comments, questions, queries, complaints, whatever, do send them to podcast at brighthopeworld.com. You can find us as well, brighthopeworld.com is our website, facebook.com forward slash brighthopeworld uh, if you want to share some thoughts there. Um, thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. There will be many more to come, we hope. Uh, but for now, you have been listening to Fraser Scott and Kevin Honore. Thanks, Kevin. Yep, very cool, Fraser. We will catch you next time on It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. <laughs>